Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. How do you measure maturity in Christ? Uh, How do you know whether or not we're children spiritually or adolescents spiritually or we're adults spiritually? How, How do you measure that? There's some things you cannot measure, and that's one of them. You can't measure that which is immeasurable. Athletic events, we can measure. Somebody wins, somebody loses. In the business world, here's a profit, here's a loss. We can measure that. But how in the world do you measure maturity? The truth is, growing in godliness isn't always easy. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his sermon called Marks of a Mature Christian, where he shows you you can move from spiritual infant to mature believer. So stay where you are. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young begins in just a moment. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Marks of a Mature Christian. Someone asked me, how many members are in the second family? How many church members do you have? I said, we have the three and a half county area, a little over 68,000 people who claim this second family as their church home. And then somebody pressed that and looked me in the eye and said, how many of those are really serious about Jesus Christ? And with my usual astuteness, I looked him in the eye and said, I don't have the foggiest idea. How do you measure whether or not we're really serious about Jesus Christ? How do you measure maturity in Christ? How do you know whether or not we're children spiritually or adolescents spiritually or we're adults spiritually? How how do you measure that? There's some things you cannot measure, and that's one of them. You can't measure that which is immeasurable. We asked our children, how much do you love your mother? And they say, oh, this much, and sometimes this much. (laughs) It's, It's hard to measure love. It's just one of those immeasurable things. But most things we can measure. Athletic events, we can measure. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Statistics, we can look at most things and say, this is, this is how you measure it. In the business world, here's a profit, here's a loss. We can measure that. But how in the world do you measure maturity? Someone who is serious, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, there's a mature Christian and there's a baby Christian. How do we know? What, what are the standards of there? What is the standards for a church family? Are we a mature church body of believers, a mature ecclesia, a mature family of brothers and sisters? Are we mature? A man walked out in the street, didn't look, just walked out without thinking. Car came, knocked him down, ran over him, left the scene. He's bleeding and broken in the street. 
People come out and say, call an ambulance. Take him to the hospital. He said, no, no, don't take me to the hospital. They said, man, you've been seriously here. Don't take me to the hospital. No, I, I, I don't want to go to the hospital. Don't take me to the hospital. They said, well, well why not? He said, I, I'm a doctor in that hospital. <laughs> and he said, I've been so strict all about the operating room and everybody around me. I tell them to watch what they do. Be careful. Make wise choice and decision. Here I am. I just walked out in the street without thinking. Here I am, busted up and bleeding. Don't take me to the hospital. I'll be embarrassed. They said, look, you may die. He said, it's okay. I, I'm just so ashamed. Don't take me there. He said, in fact, if you took me there, they would admit me because I went to the board and said, we're not taking anybody in this hospital. Make it a law and a rule unless they have their hospital card and they can pay. He said, I don't have my hospital card with me. Don't take me to the hospital. I don't know what they did with him. I guess they drug him out of the streets and left him there on the curb. It's a fallacious story. <laughs> it's not true. But I want to ask you a question. What if you were hit and run over Friday night by some unacceptable sin? Would you say, man, don't take me to the church Sunday? They have a view of me up there as a pretty good guy, a moral person. Man, take me anywhere, but don't take me to the church. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I checked that out this week. I asked some people if, you know, if, if the headlines came out, the news were reported that you got caught or some unacceptable, unseemly sin, w would you be at church this Sunday? And they said, oh, that's the last place I'd go. I'd be embarrassed. Maybe they wouldn't be embarrassed. They went to a bar. Huh? A lot of people there have been hit and run over by unacceptable sin. I wonder if you measure the maturity of a church by how we receive those. Hmm. Because you have to decide, is the church sort of an exclusive club for good people? Or is a church a hospital for those who've been run over by unacceptable sins? The truth is, we've all been run over. Every one of us, every single individual here, by the deadly hit and run vehicle we call sin. So I guess you could measure the maturity of the body of Christ. In the first early church, they said, boy, look how they love one another. Jesus says, you'll know they're members of my family by how they love one another. 
Now, love is unconditional when it comes from God in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. See, a lot of us have a tough time loving because we've never been unconditionally loved by anybody, by a mother or our dad. It's always based on performance, how you're obeying, what you're doing. And God comes with this overwhelming tsunami of love and says, it doesn't make any difference. I just love you right where you are unconditionally now and forever and forever. For God really so loves the world. The maturity of a church we can measure on the basis of how we receive one another when we get run over by an unacceptable sin. We need to be the place, if it happened to you or happened to me, I'd say, take me to my church. Take me to my church. Man, I struck out, I failed, but they're going to love me and heal me and minister to me and put their arms around me. Take me to my church. We want to become a church like that. But it even gets more difficult to measure individual maturity. Now, that, a church is broad and general and corporate worship, but individual maturity, how do you measure that? And so two or three things pop in my mind. One of the basis of knowledge, biblical knowledge. Pretty good way to measure somebody's maturity, isn't it? I thought for a long time somebody knew the Bible, understood the Bible, believed is inherent authoritative word of God, my goodness, I mean, there's somebody who obviously is a mature Christian. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, for his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word, the Bible. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Man, that's it, isn't it? Somebody who has biblical knowledge, erudition, and exegete the Old and New Testament believes it. Man, obviously, biblical knowledge is the foundation of maturity. And obviously, if you know the Bible, you're a mature Christian. I believe that until I went to seminary. I had a professor who was beyond belief in his erudition about this book. I mean, he absolutely knew the Bible, understood the Bible. He could tell you what Augustine thought about that passage. He could tell you what Aquinas would say. He would come in with what some existentialist dealt with. I mean, this guy knew this book and knew all about this book, and I thought he'd read everything. Somebody saw him in the library at seminary once. He was so scholarly, and another professor walked by and said, Doctor, he said, yes. He said, what do you do in the library? I thought you knew everything. He said, I do. I'm just reviewing he was that kind of scholar, but his life, relationship with students, with people, was very shabby. So I said, man, here's a guy who evidently knows and believes the book, but his life is, man, a long way from biblical principles. Maybe that's not enough to say, there's a mature Christian. Then I went to a church as pastor. 
teacher of the largest Bible study class there was a professor at the university, secular professor. But my goodness, he knew that book. He taught that book. But I tell you, his life was so regimented. It was so legalistic, so cold and hard. He thought nobody knew anything except himself. And you saw no touch of humility or grace or, man, he was just authoritative. He thought he was the fourth person of the Trinity. He had to add one, have a quartet <laughs> instead of a trio. But he knew the book. And he taught the book. And therefore, I had the idea, maybe, you know, just biblical knowledge isn't enough to say, there goes a mature Christian. And then I said, well, the next thing, I said, somebody's mature Christian is committed. I like commitment. Commitment's a strange thing in the 21st century. Have you noticed that? I see so many couples. Well, uh, we, we, we want to get married. We just want to live together. We're not ready to make a commitment. Heard of that one? No, I don't like to be committed. Years ago, I read a book. Elton Trueblood, the company of the committed, talking about the body of Christ. Would that the body of Christ was a company of the committed to Christ, committed to the word. By the way, I'm not just saying the word isn't important. It's the bedrock foundation of truth. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying commitment is not important. It is true, but it's not the only thing. Some of us are just shallowly committed to the church. We have the bunch I call the hatch, match, dispatch crowd. Know about them, remember? Hatch, the baby is born, give them a Bible, bang. Oh, yeah, marriage, match, oh, got to have the church, marriage. Dispatch, death, come here, want the pastor. Hatch, match, dispatch, we got that crowd. Oh, they show up on Easter and they show up on Christmas and sometimes they come other times too. Oh, my goodness. You think they're overdoing it? <laughs> so there's a lack of commitment and faithfulness. By the way, that wouldn't be this crowd today. Anybody who'd come out in a monsoon, we all must be mature, don't you think? I mean, goodness gracious, who could doubt this? Hadn't been thunder and lightning, I'd have probably slept in myself. <laughs> <laughs> commitment, but commitment is not enough. You see, Jesus came and dealt with commitment, but we had the idea, and in his world, they had the idea, we still do. Here is the sacred that's over here. That's God's stuff. Here's the secular that's over here. That's man's stuff. And there's a division between that which is sacred and that which is secular. Jesus came and he tore down a lot of walls, but he tore down that wall. He said, it is all of God. It is all sacred. There's no division. Therefore, when Jesus said, let's get on a sailboat and go sailing on the Sea of Galilee, that was sacred. Let's go camp out on the top of Mount Hermon. That was sacred. Man, let's sit down and have a good meal with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and just get back in fellowship. That was sacred. You see, the idea, well, I'm committed over here and I'm not committed over here. And uh, this is my religious life. This is my spiritual life. See, commitment is in the totality of life. It is in the wholeness of life. And commitment is a wonderful mark of someone 
who is faithful to the family of God in Christ, obedient to biblical principles, commitment. But that doesn't mean necessarily just because we show up, we may not really be totally mature in Christ. You see, for a long time, all, most of America had a habit of going to church, and now going to church for most of it become a hobby, from habit to hobby, a lack of commitment. Now, commitment is a good mark of maturity, but Bible knowledge, commitment is not enough. There's a third mark, and by the way, they go together, and that's character, character. We talked about it. Who are you when nobody else is around? Where does your mind go when it's not occupied with something else? Character. Are you honest because of, well, that's just who I am. Do you live a pure life because I, I, I'm just, God has made me pure. You see, that there is a character. And to talk about character, I want you to go with me on a little walk. We're going to walk around a little bit. Would you like to do that? Let's just walk together. Let's go walk in with John. The Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. We're going to walk. First of all, John's going to let us walk in the vineyard. Then Colossians, we're going to take a little walk in heaven. And then finally, we're going to move Galatians. We're going to have a little walk to a mirror. Whoa, watch out for that mirror walk. Let's look at a, a little walk in a vineyard. Jesus is speaking. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, if so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you, that's salvation. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, said Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, but apart from me you can do zero. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and to prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. What are we talking about? Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. He's the tree. He's the vine. He said, you and I in Christ, we're just a branch, just a branch. Now, for the branch to bear fruit, to do something, to produce something, to have character, if you would, there has to be some pruning going on. Who does the pruning? The husbandman, God. So I want to get something out of my life. 
Man, I shouldn't be doing this. I ought to be doing this. And I want to prune something that's taking away from the nourishment I'm getting from the vine. Therefore, I try to say, Lord, I've got to stop doing that. I've got to cut out this. Uh-uh. Don't do a thing. Just abide in the vine. God do the pruning. I want to stop this. No, no, just abide in the vine. Take up residence in Jesus. We'll talk about that. He'll take care. He'll take all the nonsense, all the extraneous stuff, all the other stuff that takes away from the strength and energy and productivity of your life and my life. We'd have to abide in the vine. Hmm, okay. But I have to produce fruit. Oh, I need to produce fruit. I need to go work at doing this and try to do this and, and produce this. And so, oh, no, 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 no. You just abide in the vine. Easy. God takes out all the stuff that takes strength away. You abide in the vine, the fruit that naturally flows your life will flow for your life. Then it says, when this happens, you have a blank check. Did you hear that verse? Ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. That verse has been so misused. What's the genius of it? Abide in the vine. Take up residence in the vine. Just live in Christ. Let Christ live in you. We're going to talk about that. As we take a walk in heaven, we're still in the vineyard. And so, here we are, I'm a branch, you're a branch, grafted on by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, attached to the vine. What is the purpose of the branch? Is the branch to do anything? Produce fruit? No. Take stuff out of your life? No. Abide in the vine, God will do the pruning, and the fruit will take care of itself. That's the character that is produced in your life and in my life. Boy, sounds simple. Unless you've really been abiding, and it's not simple at all, it's a lifestyle. So we take a little walk in the vineyard, and then the result of this is joy. By the way, hold on to that word. Joy, wonderful joy. I've got a joy, joy, joy. Joy is beyond happiness. Joy has a, joy has a permanency about it. In this life or in heaven. Joy, joy, joy. Let's try a little joy. My goodness, you look kind of dead. I want everybody over here to say joy, would you? Joy. Joy. The whole. Joy. Some of you missed it. Here we go. Joy. Now, I wonder how they could be lighter than you. They must have more joy. All this group. Joy. 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 Orchestra. Choir. Make a joyful noise. Here we go, all together. Joy. Boy, good. All together. Joy. That's it. That's the goal. That's the word. Now, abiding in the vine. Now we're going to take a little walk in heaven. We won't stay there long. If we did, we would not want to go back home. I assure you of that. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, we have. Keep seeking, hold on the word seeking, the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden, keep that word, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You've heard of hide and seek? We've all played hide and seek, haven't we? This is seek and hide. Did you get it? 
We, we seek the things that are above, understanding that is where our long-range citizenship's going to be, folks. Don't ever forget that. This little poof here, man, that's our citizenship. We seek the things that are above, and we see. By the way, you can go there in your mind. It's a wonderful thing. Our mind can take us on trips. We can go anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Early this morning, I had the privilege of going all the way to heaven and trying with my limited, infinite, infinite, yet finite imagination, you could see God and the Father and the Son in heaven. And so we abide. We, we draw from that assurance. And therefore, we seek. We seek him. And then at the same time, on this earth, we hide in him. We're, we're hidden in Christ. When the branch abides in the vine, we are hidden in Christ in the vine. This is another picture there. What does it mean to be hidden in Christ? If you're hidden in Christ, the past is covered. Isn't that good news? The present is empowered. That's fabulous. And the future is assured because we're hiding in Christ. We seek and we hide. Now we go back and we run into character. Look how this works. Now take a little trip and then we're going to look in a mirror. This is the toughest part of all. We look into a mirror and you're going to find that mirror in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 22, we know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and its desires. Now, We've taken a little walk into a vineyard. We discovered that we are branches attached to the vine. That's what we have to do. We've gone up to heaven, and we've discovered that when we seek God and seek Christ in heavenly dimensions, then he takes and he hides us in him, and we as branches are hidden in the vine. And then all of a sudden, there's fruit. This is character. This is character. This is a test of maturity. This is when we move from being childlike to being childish. No, from being childish to being childlike. To be childlike is maturity. To be childish is to be immature. When I was a child, I thought as a child. I operated as a child. When I became mature, I put away childish things. And now all of a sudden we see I'm a branch attached to the vine. God is pruning all of this so I can bear fruit. I don't have to try to bear fruit. I just stay attached and I seek things that are above biblical principles and see the reality of God in Christ in heaven at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me, and then I hide in Jesus Christ. I'm hidden in him as a branch draws from the vine, and then there's fruit. What is the fruit? There's nine mentioned here. Nine, I think, basically, personality characteristics. It's character. Look at them. Some people think that love is a principal fruit, and there's eight that follows. That could be. But I'm going to take them all a cart. Love. It begins with our mind. Love. 
God so loved us, we're able then to love because we've been greatly loved, are we not? Greatly loved. While we were yet in the tank, while we ain't yet in the garbage, while we're yet being run over by an unacceptable sin, God loves us. So we have the capacity to love. Love. Joy. We've talked about that. Joy. Inexpressible joy. Supernatural joy. Joy, joy, joy. Love, joy. Joy is expressed, I think, with your eyes. I can look at somebody for a while, and you can see their eyes just sort of sprinkle. They just, they're just sort of a joy there. Peace, this joy. Love, joy. Peace. I think about the ears. Uh, we, we, we want peace. We listen to peace. In the middle of all the rattle and the rumble of the world, somehow we can hear peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's hanging on your life. Peace. Love, joy, peace. Oh, patience. Boy, there's one. We have to speak patience. I'm sorry. I, I rush. We have to speak it. Speak it. Become patient people, long-suffering people. Patience. Another fruit that God wants to hang on your life and my life. We abide in the vine. As we seek and as we're hidden in Christ, patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, your hands. Somebody speaks your name, they say, that's a kind person. Real kindness, compassionate, caring, uplifting, kind, kindness, kind, goodness. Have a good heart. Is your heart really good? That's a good person. They don't have unseemly motives. There's somebody who fills you up when you're with them and not sucks all the energy out of you when you're with them. No folks like that. Got a good heart. Oh, I like to be people have a good heart. Good, good. And faithfulness. That's the next one. That's your gut. Give my word. Book it. I'll be there. I'm faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And then gentleness. Are you a gentle person? We're talking about character now that proves that we have a degree of maturity. Or are you a kind of a bombastic, well, that's just the way I am. I want you to know. Or are you gentle? I mean, gentle people, we want to be with them. And, and, and some of us are not naturally gentle. I don't think anybody naturally is. But we have to be gentle. And then finally, there's self-control. That's discipline. Build the discipline in your life. Put it down. Mark it down. Work on it. Discipline, discipline, discipline. All of a sudden, there you are. There I am. You say, no, I want to be mature. We're abiding the vine. The Father cuts out all the extraneous stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this fruit hanging off your life and my life. And there's love and there's joy and there's patience. Oh, my goodness. And there is kindness. And all the other fruit begins to hang there. And we say, look, there's somebody because of their character. They are becoming more and more mature in Jesus Christ. Why? Why? What's my motivation? Here's all the childish folks, immature. Here and here, all the adolescents, adolescent Christians. Well, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Here, all the mature folks. How do you move from being 
child in maturity, at least adolescence, and maybe move to being a mature person in Christ? How do you do it? This is the path. You abide in the vine. And all of a sudden, he begins to change these things by the power of his Holy Spirit. What motivates us? Tell you where it is. Great little passage. I, I knew it, but I stumbled into it. You ever stumble into something? Oh, my, where's that been all my life? 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 14. Listen. But thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph, I like that word, in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one, the aroma from death to death to the other, aroma from life to life. We want to move from immaturity to maturity so we'll have the smell of God about us. You got that? Isn't that tremendous? Have you ever been with people and, and there's just that sweet aroma because you, you don't know about it, you don't think about it, there's all kind of fruit hanging off their life It's available for you. Boy, they'll just love you. Boy, they'll be kind to you. They're gentle to you. They're understanding. They're, and all of a sudden, there's all this fruit hanging from their life, and it's, it's an aroma. It's like you're in a vineyard, a vineyard of life. By the same time, the negative side of this, have you ever been around people where there is a, not body odor, but there is a stench about them that is dark and unseemly? because they're a long way from God and they're a long way from reality and a long way from home. Motivates me. I want to be one of those aroma people, don't you? An aroma, a sweet fragrance that goes up to the nostrils of Almighty. We don't understand that. It's anthropomorphic language. The nostrils of the Almighty. By the same token, aroma that goes out to other folks because they're just spiritual fruit, just there for the picking, there for the gathering. They, they share it with us. They, they give it to us, and it nourishes us. It nourishes us. Maturity. Try to measure it with biblical knowledge. Very important. Try to measure it with commitment. Essential. Try to measure it with character. All the fruit of the Spirit. When you put those three measurements down, we see how we fall short, and then what do you do about it? And stand up and teach, 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 and the Lord, well, what are you doing about it, Edwin? Well, Lord, I'm, you know, what are you doing about it? We have to go to him, and you'll be amazed. He'll begin to prune, but also he'll begin to convict. And if we let him, he'll change. That fruit which isn't on the tree, or that fruit that's on the tree that gets rotten because it's not used or picked, he'll begin to change you and change me, and all of a sudden, we'll have a, just a sweet aroma coming from your life and from my life.
And that means we're just growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we were children, we thought as children, we acted like children. We were childish. But now we put away those childish things and we're maturing. Pablum is good for babies. It sure doesn't nourish anybody who is mature. It's time to grow up as a church, as, as individuals. Let's get on with it, okay? The result will be joy. got better and all together it is you've been listening to the winning walk with dr ed young before we end our program dr young is in the studio today to help us uncover more wisdom from this message dr young when it comes to spiritual maturity the old saying is true that you can't judge a book by its cover What advice would you give to someone who intellectually knows a lot about the Bible, but underneath feels like a fraud? Well, uh, if you know a lot about the Bible, the first thing you have to do is say, how can I put this in practice? What about biblical truth am I not living out? And every time I do that, I back up and I can get a long list in a hurry. So start with the fundamentals, your relationship with Christ. Make sure it's alive. Your obedience to biblical principles. Ask God to put those in your life where they're not there, whatever it is. And then begin to live it out, and you'll be amazed how you begin to grow up and mature in the Lord. The gospel received, a prayer prayed to invite Jesus in your life, is the first step of a brand new life. Begin to live out that life, and you'll get excited more and more, and your relationship with Christ will take new fire, new meaning, and new significance. Thank you, Dr. Young. You said commitment is important for spiritual maturity. Is it possible to be a strong Christian without going to church? You know, I don't really think it is possible to be a strong Christian without going to church. That's like you have a a coal fire, and you take one of those coals, it's all burning together with other coals, and you push that coal off by itself, That coal will go out while the rest of the coal stay hot. This is the way the church works. It's the body of Christ. Think about it. The body of Jesus Christ, as it is reflected in this world, is the church. We're the hands, the arms, the feet, the mind, and we are to do the work of the Lord together in concert, in a koinonia relationship. The ecclesia is to reach the world for Christ. And when people come in, They should feel that warmth and the dynamic of being with Jesus himself. No, you can't really grow without being a part, a lively part of the body of church, the body of Christ. Now, let me say, if you're unable to attend, uh, that's a different matter. You're physically impaired. There may be other reasons. But listen, it should have the highest priority in your life and in my life that as for me and my house, I'm in worship every day every first day of the week. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. 
Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.